0: Hello and welcome back to the New York Film Academy Hour. We're excited because we have a special guest coming back into the studio today. Craig Caton is here with us. He is the chair of 3D animation and visual effects and he has brought one of his most famous puppets with him today to talk to us about the future of digital puppeting. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Popcorn Talk featuring movie discussion,
0: news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hey guys, I'm Joelle. And I'm Pega, And we're super excited because Craig is joining us in the studio again. Hi, Craig! Hi! How thanks, are you? Thanks
1: for inviting me again. It's great to be here.
0: Dude, absolutely. <laughs> After we got your stories from Batman last time, I yeah. knew we had to have you back. If you guys haven't checked out Craig's last episode, definitely go and do that. I'm going to give you a little rundown of his career. Um, he has worked in visual effects, special effects, makeup, and animation, but he might be best known for his puppets. Uh, he includes. He's worked on films like Steven Spielberg's uh, Jurassic Park. He's worked on Terminator 2, Ghostbusters, Batman Returns, uh, Tremors, Predator, Disney's Tangled, Disney's Meet the Robins, Robinsons, Apollo 13, Edward Scissorhands, so many more films. Things that he was like, <laughs> I didn't really do anything on that, so we don't have to bet it out. Like, it would be. He's like, no, no, no. That's just a little. Uh, his career is that big. It's huge. He's worked on everything. Um, and today, he's going to talk to us about digital puppeteering, the future of puppets, and uh, some of his old school puppets. So yep, thanks for being here. some of the here. old stuff.
1: So what are we going to start with? The new stuff? with, uh... I
0: want to know what puppeteering is. Specifically? Okay, yeah. yeah. Like what does that mean? Oh, like, is it, that like Sesame Street puppets? It, oh, or? yeah, yeah. Okay. You know what I
1: mean? There's like lots of different types of, like, types of puppets. Like, for instance, like, Kermit is a combination mm. uh, of of hand puppet and rod puppet because uh, his, his, uh, you put your hand up there and that's controlling his head and his mouth, but then his arms and his hands are being controlled by little rods you control, so you're just like, hey everybody, it's Kermit D. Frog here! <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and That, that sort of thing. Uh, Craig also and, does voices
0: for fun. <laughs>
1: and uh, and then there um, are some other puppets that are are, are nothing, but uh, they're controlled by cables. Um, very similar to like the cables that you use... Uh, uh, in your bicycles to shift gears and stuff like that, oh, like cool. the derailleur cable, as it's called. So there are cable-activated puppets that are run that way, um, and also uh, a lot of puppets that are just uh, that are activated using uh, servos, like the, the exact same type of servos that you would use in uh, remote control helicopters and cars and airplanes and stuff like that. Lots
0: of that. Nice. That's amazing. So you get into Puppets, uh, we talked a little bit about it last time, uh, (laughs) after doing uh, special effects makeup and things. Uh, You're creating monsters in your room, and then you move uh, slowly outward as you reach out to your mentor who crazily responds back and is like, yes, here are the tools you need to get started. You follow (laughs) those tools, you do get started, and then you work on these major films. I I don't want to bury the lead. Let's Let's just show what you have brought today and talk about Jurassic Park, because... Okay, we'll talk about that. I think for a lot of people, especially for my generation, Jurassic Park was their uh, first really huge blockbuster movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was... Five when Jurassic Park came wow. out, yeah. and I remember so, going to the theaters to see it, and, and the kids in the car. You and, guys were the
1: right age, yeah. yeah. It was
0: so good. You, so you good. were
1: the people that I am so thankful to because you guys <laughs> like saw the movie and loved it, and then we were all like, "Yay!"
0: Hey. <laughs> 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 and
1: then it became really popular.
0: So tell us, yeah, well, go for it. Just here it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> what? Explain okay. to everybody what it is. All
1: right, so this is um. The T Rex's little toenail from Jurassic Park.
0: Oh, wow. So, um, Can I so touch you, it? You may. Wah. Yeah. Wah. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and if you look here, we still have the actual dirt from the set is oh, still wow. on the bottom of the claw. But this was her, her left. A little toenail. The only reason I know that is because on the back it has L1 on it. Oh, wow. Uh, so that that way, um, yeah. And this is actually um, this is uh, property of Steven Spielberg. But I take I take one of the other things that I do with Steven Spielberg is I take care <laughs> of ET the extraterrestrial puppet for Steven Spielberg as well.
0: What do you uh, mean, take care of him? Um,
1: uh, well, I actually I should say used to take care of from like 1993 or so or 91 to to about 2010, uh, I would take care of ET and and uh, we, uh, I would take him all over the world, and uh, mostly do commercials. Uh, like like we would go to England, and we would shoot a commercial, and then we would go to oh uh, you know New York City, and we'd shoot a commercial for Wendy's there, and then we would shoot countless commercials here over the years, uh, and then they finally retired him, and I think around 2010 where if they decided they were going to use him again he would be all digital after that but yeah oh, wow. but for for years and years there were two puppets um uh an insert arm and um two uh two little suits that a little person would wear this wonderful woman a uh, little person her name was margarita would wear the would wear this suit and and uh and we we just had a really great time going wow. all over the world doing E.T. for commercials and stuff like that what
0: does taking care of a puppet entail as far as like upkeep and making sure it lasts well
1: um, eventually the servos were burned out so you need to replace the servos um, and the skin every once in a while needs to have be repaired and also um, be repainted um, but one of the things that ET needed the most was um, he had an insert hand that had a finger light that would light up right he uh-huh. finger light well that would burn out all the time and and that was actually my first my first uh, uh um entrance into ET someone came over um from Spielberg's from Amblin and said hey ET's finger light is burned out can you take a look at it and i went okay so i went over there and and uh i i looked at it and out the light bulb i found out that the light bulb was a brake light from like a 1977 like chevy nova type car so wow. i went i went to pep boys and i got two of them for like four dollars and and i replaced the brake light and put the skin back on his finger and gave it to him and they asked me so how much do you want And i went i don't know i mean i just changed a light bulb uh, so we were making the light bulb jokes, but um, so I said, oh, "What? Okay, what? Forty dollars, right?" And they almost fell over. Like, what? What do you want? Stock in the company? Uh, because the person who'd who'd fixed the cu- puppet for before them, the time before, would changed the light bulb, charged them fifteen thousand oh. dollars to change a light bulb. Wow. So they're like, "Wow, we like you, Craig." I'm sure and, they do. And that was the start. Uh, the changing of that light bulb was the start of my my. My multi multiple years of taking care of ET is because I was uh, I was honest and forthright, and and, uh, and also who's not a fan of ET, yay! Yes. And, and, and so um, so there was the respect there, and, and we just we had a great time. ET and I saw the world together, and oh it was so much fun. So. That's Incredible. so
0: cool. I'm still kind of geeking out at the fact that this toenail is here, which is a so, sentence oh, yeah. I certainly so never thought yeah. I would say. Uh, but it's like film history. Yeah. It's yeah. right here. Yeah. Uh, and I think so like, in getting to talk to you and having these conversations with you, I'm starting to see... The large, like giant, role puppets have played in movies, which is a thing I never oh, yeah, really I thought have. about before. And so now I'm curious: when you're constructing these creatures, you really only have words on a page, usually, right? That's I mean, right. do you you so free? Okay, so you're not getting like templates or, or uh, inspiration board kind of things. How do, what goes into creating these characters? Yeah,
1: and you're you're right. It all starts with the script and and. and typically what like for like what I would do is I would read through the script and I would highlight all the parts that that has anything to do with the creature or the character at all and, and then I would I would take those and I would try to find out um, um, the the most important thing is to fulfill the function of that character or the creature the the, the, the character and the creature needs to believably fulfill its function mm-hmm. inside a movie so that the audience believes it and and if it can't if it can't do that function believably, then then you're lost. And there are, there are, and, and there are a lot of things that go into that in terms of like uh, the first thing is so like what I mentioned first. It's uh, I I go like with this three tiered system. I use functionality over form, over content. So the first thing I do is I make sure the creature can just can actually fulfill all the functions in that movie. And then the second thing is I go to his form, which is the shape and the look. Because the first thing people always notice about something is the overall shape and the silhouette. So then I, I go from the function to, to coming up with a really great... Uh, silhouette but always going back to make sure that that silhouette is functional as well. Mm-hmm. And then after I got a nice cool silhouette and form looking, then I start going into the content in terms like the eyes and the nose and the skin detail and the texture and stuff like that because that's the last thing you'll see. So y'all kind of it's you work kind of like from the from the outside inward. And so that's that's kind of the philosophy I use for for creating characters.
0: What medium do you start with? Are you are you sketching it out? Are you working with clay or is-
1: Oh, it's it, it's it's everything. I've 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 sketched monster. I've sketched monsters on napkins. Wow. Uh, I went one time. I was at the uh, the Macaroni Grill in Northridge, and they have they have uh, butcher paper on yeah. their tables. And I sketched this dragon character. And before I left, I had to tear off the, t- <laughs> the, the table thing so I could carry it with me. Um, so yeah, napkins. But um, my my favorite. Uh, medium is actually sculpting. I like to sculpt small little characters out of Roma clay, uh, which is an oil-based clay. Uh, it never gets hard; it's always soft. And so, uh, yeah, because I like to be able to like sit there and look at it and look at all the different angles and see, okay, what does it look like from the side and what does it look like from the back.
0: Mm. Have you ever had um, to like go into a meeting and, and show your work and you know maybe you knew that they weren't going to be too? I was reading a uh, Steve Jobs biography and they were talking about the. Uh, Apple iPod original commercials, mm-hmm. and they wanted. He just wanted the clean ones, where it just shows the product. Um, yeah. and they wanted the white silhouettes. They're like, "Look, it sells the feeling of it." And he been, was eventually persuaded. And I'm wondering if you've ever had to go into a meeting with the same thing, where you're you know what uh, you want, but you're kind of also aware of what they want. You kind of have to bring them to your side.
1: Oh yeah, that that happens all the time. Um, a lot of the times, you'll go in, uh, like if it's the initial meeting. Um, you will already have read the script, and you'll already have come up with a couple of designs, and then and then you'll go to the meeting with the designs, and you'll show the designs to them, and kind of get a feeling for what they like and what they're going for, and then you you take what they like, and you come go back to your studio, and then you, you develop that more, and you just kind of becomes like an iterative process. But what I like to do is I like to like um, if I'm designing a creature, and I have and if I have the time, what I do is I'll I'll design between three and five uh drawings or little sculptures or whatever that that are fairly, you know, standard for whatever that genre is. And then the next one I'll do the uh uh another set of three or four sculpture or five sculptures that are are like kinda like on the edge, you know, kinda like, okay, so sure they want a dragon but here's here's a dragon with feathers
0: yeah. or here's a dragon
1: with something else right um so you're you're kind of like pushing you're kind of moving out of the envelope and then i do a, a third set which is completely off off the off the cliff with designs just like like i'll like i'll design a dragon that looks like it was designed by h.r giger the guy who designed the aliens and oh, so it's all wow. ribs and mechanical stuff so i'll, I'll have three sets of choices and they can go like, oh, we like that, or this is we've seen this in movies too many times, but maybe they'll go to the second set and go, oh, you know, this one's kind of pushing the envelope with the feathers, uh, and then sometimes, every once in a while the radical ones will go over and go, oh, you know, there's the Geeker Dragon, we're going to go with that one. Uh, <laughs> not very often, but but. If you give them that variety then they go, uh, a lot of times they go oh I like the nose of this and the cheeks of that and this part of that. Mm. And then you'll go back and you'll take all those parts and make one creature from those parts and start designing them from from that. Um, The one thing is that uh, when you're working for directors like Spielberg and James Cameron and Ron Howard these directors, they know exactly what they want. So you can say, this is what I want. Right? There are lesser directors where you can show them something, and they go. Ah, I just, you know, I'm not <laughs> sure. Maybe you could do some, and and it becomes really nebulous, and you just kind of wander off and and make some changes, and hope that you can dial it in. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that become the nightmare after a while because uh. those those people just they they really don't know what they want, and 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 so you have to build it hundreds of times <laughs> in order to get um. where they want it and uh so yeah that's
0: how many people does it take to actually i don't know puppeteer a puppet that's a good question yeah
1: yeah it really depends on 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 the puppet but like for instance the um the full-size raptor puppets Mm -hmm. on uh, jurassic park that was that was so head neck tail and body and feet and the whole bit required 14 puppeteers wow yeah Wow so. so
0: is there like a main person and everyone yes. else is kind of okay
1: cool. Yeah. there's there's basically um the way we we ran it a slightly bit differently on on the Raptors in Jurassic park there's always what they call the key puppeteer, and usually that's the person who's who's operating the head because most of the uh the body follows what the head's doing right so so um if if i'm the head and the eyes i'm if i'm looking something then the body kind of follows with yeah. it yeah uh so so that's usually to keep up a tear um and usually the key puppeteer, it's like an orchestra. When you have 14 people, you actually start doing what they call puppeteering by the numbers. So you actually start calling out beats. And, and each puppeteer knows, like, like on four and six, they're going to pull their puppeteer level to, to do their thing. So you have one puppeteer out there going, uh, um, and in this case, we had Crash McCreary, who who's also in a band himself. And so he would call out, like... One, two, three, four, and then you would you would puppeteer by the numbers, but you would get to the point where you could be like a band, and he could go like one, two, and three, and four, and we go one, two, three, and four, and nice. you know for the controls. And so you would start to get a rhythm and stuff. And and so um, everybody kind of needs to pay attention to what the key puppeteer is doing and feed off that, but also. Um, you need to you need to hear the numbers and, and puppeteer like that. Kind of, so it's like being in an orchestra or band, and you and you definitely need to rehearse to do it. Right,
0: that's so, so cool. That's super incredible. Yeah. I know you worked on one of Pega's favorite movies, Terminator Two. Oh, Terminator Da-da. Two. Yeah. <laughs> what was your role in that movie?
1: <laughs> um, I was one of the uh, um, the senior uh, mechanical people building a lot of the puppets and then also puppeteering them. So there were. Um, there were several, uh, like all all of the endoskeleton heads, just the the robot heads themselves. I assembled, and this is actually kind of funny because um, all of the T the T eight hundreds is what they were called. All they all had they all had articulated eyes that moved, and they all had articulated jaws so they could open and close their jaws. And I got to set, and I think I made six of these heads, all with the the moving jaws. And I get to set, and I, I start puppeteering the jaw, and the first thing Jim Cameron says, "They're endoskeletons; they never open their mouths. You can just oh. just wire them shut and keep them closed." I'm like, "Cool!" And so we. <laughs> so, wow. So, so that happened, and, and um, but my favorite story on, on Terminator Two has to do with a puppet I built called the Donut Head puppet. And the Donut Head was the uh, the Robert Patrick T1000 puppet that. Linda Hamilton shoots him with a shotgun in this big hole, oh. his eyes. and and you can see like the rotating collision beacon behind it, and and um, okay, so we shot that. I made that puppet, okay. Oh my and god! <laughs> and,
0: I'm gonna freak and, out.
1: And uh, we actually shot it in an actual uh, steel mill that had been sh- had been closed down, and they were they were actually. Um, Dismantling the steel meal, the steel meal—it's like my headphones. I can't pronounce it right. (laughs) Um, And they were dismantling it and taking it to China, and they're going to rebuild it there. Anyway, so we shot the the end sequence of Terminator Two. There was out in uh, Fontana, and um, so I'm there with the with this this puppet, and so it's it's a big hand puppet, and it has to be this reveal, and. Uh, Robert Patrick is actually playing the arm of the puppet. So he's got his arm in the sleeve of the puppet. and he's, So I got the puppet. He's got the arm so he can reveal the face. And then there's another really great puppeteer. His name is Chris Swift. And Chris is, Chris is actually... There's two little rods on the shoulders of the puppet so we can make the shoulders move up and down. <laughs> so there's me with the hand doing the head. There's Chris on the shoulders. And then there's... Um, uh, Robert Tatrick with that, and then there's another puppeteer with some remote controls to operate the the eye, the eye blinks, and so all all th- the three of us all close together, like really close together, and we all showered that day, which was good. <laughs> and um, you know, we're trying to do this reveal where the the head reveals itself, and they want uh, Jim wants uh, James Cameron wants the the uh, the the collision beacon, the show up on the hole be- yeah. through his eye. And also he's got these Venetian eye lights. He's got these three rays of light coming down on his eyes and he wants one particular ray of light to hit his left <laughs> eyes to bring it to life and light it up. Otherwise it looks, it looks a little dead. And so you're rotating your puppet into that position and trying to get those exact spots. So It was really, really wow. difficult. And we did it perfect on take number four. Wow. Nice. And True to James Cameron fashion Whenever you did a really great take This first thing James would say That's perfect, let's do it again <laughs> so we, couldn't, we couldn't repeat it yeah. We couldn't get it done it just everything was going wrong after that it got to the point where where jim thought i didn't know what i was doing Aww. so he 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 gets up and he gets literally this far from my face and he says do you know what you did wrong do you know what you did wrong and he went, yeah i didn't get the uh i didn't get the eye and the light and then get the rotating the beacon and all of a sudden he went from being like really like to like oh okay all right, well, don't do it again or I'll kill you. And, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm like, and, Well, anyway, um, we weren't able to get the shot uh, before breaking for lunch. And that's kind of like a crime on movie sets because yeah. usually you want to finish what you're doing on a movie uh, before lunch. That way um, the grips and the gaffers and the people can come back early from lunch and start setting up. Uh, for the next shot sure. and not have to be rushed to doing it so now all of those people hate me because uh. we're not going to come back to a new deal after lunch we're going to come back to this stupid head and so i'm kind of like i'm walking to the to the uh to the Tent where where they're serving the food, and I'm just kind of like, oh, great. Mm. And next thing you know, there's Jim Cameron walking right next to me, I'm like, hey, I really gave it to you back there, didn't I? And like, nah, that's okay. It says, well, as I, you know, this this is a really important shot, and this is one of the signature shots in the movies, and this is this shot is going to be on the cover of magazines, and this shot's going to be on the cover of Cinefix, and so we really want to get it right. And I go, yeah, that's great. And sure enough. It was on the cover of effects Wow. That, that nice. So I'm like, thanks, Jim. That was really cool. So wow.
0: that's I so. really appreciate uh, the amount of like we need to get it right and I'm I'm in the, the war zone kind of mindset to as soon as everything's done being like, okay, so maybe overheated. <laughs> Let me come back down and, and, and talk about like why it's important. That's I think that's a really good lesson for uh, especially young directors, because mm. it's easy to get heated on set. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end yeah. of the day, like as you say, like it's a team. There are like five of you <laughs> trying to pull off this one puppet. Yeah. That's really incredible. Um, the other thing I think is incredible, especially as we're talking about Terminator, which um, had visual effects that were groundbreaking at that time. Yeah. Um, and looking at the kind of CGI-filled world we live in today, I was kind of shocked to see how prevalent puppets still are on sets, um, having practicals there when. Um, I know a ton of people, including James Cameron, are like, computers only. Um, yeah. And you're well, creating software to kind of help keep them around but also bring them into the digital era.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually created software to, to – everybody. everybody's busy trying to get everything into the computer. Mm-hmm. And now I'm busy trying to get everything back out of the computer. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, no, I created uh, some software that um, – Allows you the, the industry standard software for animating characters is something called Autodesk Maya, okay. and, and everybody uses it. And so, what I've done is I've created some software that um, you can animate and do a, a performance inside Maya, but then you can record that performance inside Maya and then send it to a puppet and use that same performance that you use for the, for the, for the CG character, you can use it to, to run the puppet. That's so so it's cool. like a it's like a uh, basically like a recorder for for Maya that you can put on puppets so
0: that's incredible um you were telling me that using a GoPro and yes. facial recognition software that doesn't use the dots it just uses the GoPro right. to pick up capture the person's performance you can then upload that facial like the reactions of it into the puppet so they're having like very that's real. Right muscle reaction that yeah. is incredibly game-changing
1: yeah it's it's a company and they've actually been around for a really long time doing it for um doing this software for uh or just not not what i'm doing but uh doing what they call markerless facial capture or motion capture for the face um uh it's called Faceware. um they're right here in uh uh the valley uh wow. and, which is great and they, their main office is in texas but um, but they have been doing it for the video game industry for about twenty years and and they 're kind of like the who 's who in the video game industry for this stuff and so yeah, so I teamed up with them uh, a year ago to 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 work on this and and, and everybody 's pretty excited about it uh, and, yeah, and it 's exactly what you what you said um, you you um, aim a GoPro at a person 's face, no markers, and then they they talk and then you take it into a piece of software called the the analyzer and it analyzes the face. Even the eye moves and the eye blinks as well. Wow. Uh, even records those. So you analyze it and you set that up, and then you send that to Maya, and then then they have another set of software called the Retargeter, which allows you to take it from from that person's face and map it onto any character's face, whether it's a, a character of a human or mm. non-human, an alien, an animal. Doesn't matter. You can you can make the connection, and then from there, my software. Grabs those connections and sends it out to the puppet. So I don't
0: know why over. I think of like the Snapchat filters.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Oh, yeah.
0: I'm sorry, but <laughs> no, I that's kind of that. the same thing. It's like it, it scans your face and you yeah. become, yeah. you know, absolutely yeah, it's, without it's the crazy. dots. Give, yep. give Definitely. No, you're here. You're it. I like it. It's a little
1: bunny ears on yeah, you.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I guess what was really impressive to me was the fact that like, this software kind of allows you to, first of all, perfect your performance for the puppet before you get yeah. it there. Um, the director can see it, everyone can approve it, and then it's ready to go. Um, but also make quick changes on set, too. You know, take yeah. a couple of minutes just to reprogram um, and maybe avoid the Terminator issue of <laughs> finding <Yeah>. that exact <laughs> mark.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, if we'd, if we'd done that with a programmed... Uh, uh, character, he would have hit the mark every single time, right. and and we could have set it up so, um, you know, back in the day, when if you were trying to do something mechanical like that, it kind of looked mechanical. That's why we were doing a lot of hand yeah. puppeteering. Uh, but today with like this system, it's recording all those nuances, and you're getting that played back, and so it looks very natural when it plays back.
0: I know naturalness is kind of the. Uh... Like pinnacle for for puppeteering is you it shouldn't feel like a puppet most of the time. Yeah,
1: you don't want people to know that you, you want them to not think it's a puppet. You want, and, and it's funny how actually easy that is because you can pull out a Kermit puppet. I should have brought Kermit with me. Yeah, and you can sit there and you can do uh, Kermit, and people will actually start talking to Kermit, and so and they'll completely put you out of the loop. Yeah, and, oh, and so cool. uh, I think it's really neat. I think I think it's still very magical how. People can still uh, see the puppet, and they just and they want to talk to it and in, and interact with it.
0: Um, I think it's uh, kind of interesting. You were talking to me a little bit earlier before we started the show about uh, finding that movement for the T Rex, finding that kind of natural. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Feeling. Can yeah. you can you tell us that story? How That's did we come up
1: with the T Rex idea? Yeah. Um, well, um, we were trying to figure out how to to make the big giant T Rex move, and we were. Um, the, one of the things we were looking at initially was um, based off of the King Kong uh, attraction at Universal Studios, which burned down. Uh, and, and what that was is you would be in a tram and you would enter, enter this big building and there was King Kong there doing his things. But what people didn't know was that, that King Kong was actually a giant inflatable like Macy's Parade float. So on the bottom of that King Kong with these giant fans that were putting air through him to oh. keep him full and inflated, and then he'd have like uh, mechanics in there to move him around and stuff. And they would squirt uh, banana scent in there, so everybody would smell bananas <laughs> from the fans. So we looked at that, kind of like the Macy's Parade float, and I really didn't want to do that. I was kind of like, it's ah, going to be problem, because you could hit the hand and it would like a jiggle mm-hmm. and stuff. Um so we looked at uh, like putting it on a seesaw, and I'm like I don't want to put it on a seesaw. <laughs> I mean, it's actually the, there was a there was a, um, a a show up at Universal Studio called Five Will Go Five Will Goes West, and there's this yeah. giant cat puppet that was on a seesaw that would come up, and, and it worked pretty well. But still, I didn't want to do that. Then we were looking at uh, at construction equipment like the backhoe, the the ditch diggers. And and I looked at that, and they were certainly strong enough to do everything. But the problem was is that when when those backholes holes move, they they have in, what we call waga waga. When something moves and it shakes like this, you know, so mm. a back hole goes like <laughs> that. That little stuff is what we call waga waga. Uh, highly technical term in the I industry. love it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, um, and I was I was just looking at ways to overcome that, and I was going oh, no. This is going to be so much work. Um, well, um, I, I'm also um, on the sideline. I'm a helicopter pilot. I like to fly helicopters. Oh, just in this past yeah, time. Yeah, know, yeah. right? and, um, and just by coincidence, uh, they were having the International Helicopter Convention in Anaheim that summer. And I thought, yeah, i got to get away from everything. I'm just going to go down to this convention. I'm going to go look at helicopters because that's, that's how I relax. But while I was down there, I saw this helicopter flight simulator that had like a nine thousand pound cockpit on it on this, this multi axis simulator and it was moving it around just so gracefully and organically and I knew right away, that's it. That's that's what we'll use to to, to we'll use flight simulator technology to move to power up the T Rex. I came back and I told Stan and told Steven Spielberg and, and Everybody, it just clicked. Everybody goes, "Yeah, that's it. It's so obvious. That's the way we're going to do it." And and the funny part was that the uh, the flight simulator company was based out of Santa Santa Fe Springs here, a company called McFadden, and and um, they had been approached by movie companies to do some similar stuff before, but it never happened. So they are very pretty cynical. But when when Steven stepped in, they're like, "Oh, this is real." <laughs> uh, but um, the cool thing was that they had they had been doing this flight simulator stuff for so many years that they they'd already solved these problems that we had never even thought of uh, one of the biggest ones was that when the hydraulic fluid is moving through these uh, hoses and stuff it gets really hot and then and then the fluid expands and that causes the hydraulics to get spongy and mm-hmm. so they had to come up with like giant freezer units to keep the oil cool as it goes through and, and all these other things that we never even thought about but they were already on top of it but, but yeah so everybody said yeah this is the way to do it McFadden came on board um, and that's how we built the, uh, the T-Rex we used to, we put them on a motion simulator base and then all of the uh, mechanics in him were also based on flight simulator stuff is, there, how's that for a long so answer? Awesome. That is no, that is incredible. <laughs> yeah. That is
0: the full answer that we needed. And what strikes me about this story is that inspiration can come from anywhere. I know the original Kermit was constructed out of Jim Henson's mother's coat. That's right, um, her wow. green overcoat. So I'm curious, what tools should uh, budding puppeteers have in their kit? What 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 should uh, people have on? and What should they be looking for if they want to get started in creating their and fabricating their own puppets?
1: Oh wow! Well, I would, I would certainly go go out and and try to find an old copy of something called the Dick Smith Monster Makeup Handbook, mm. because in that that little magazine, you can basically... The nice thing about it is, like, any kid in America, um, the ingredients you can get from your drugstore and your grocery store to do the makeups in this in this this magazine. So everything, you know, you can... You can do from Frankenstein makeups to mummy makeups and everything in between, and and all it requires is a quick trip to your your pharmacy or to your grocery store, your department store, and just uses household objects. And I thought that was the, for me that was how I started out, and 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 uh, and you're able to hit the ground running right away because you don't have to like oh now I have to go on Amazon and yeah. order some latex <laughs> and wait for it to ship here. No, you can go straight to the store and and buy some stuff and start right away. So, I love it. So, yeah, that and and and, uh, and stay in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, um, my I wanted to make monsters from the time I was in the sixth grade. So my whole approach to getting through grade school and high school was every class that I took, I looked at that class in terms of, like, what can I get out of this class that will help me create monsters? And that was... A really great attitude for me to have to go in there because I go into math class and I go oh I'm probably going to have to figure out how to use a triple beam or something like that and weigh stuff so maybe these math functions will be good Um, but and and like when I went in I would go into like biology class and I knew right away that that uh, if I wanted to make monsters and puppets that having a really good knowledge of bone structure and muscle structure would also pay off as well so that was my my approach. It's like whatever you do, and and, and like and especially f- for you, for uh, you guys that are out there in school, uh, especially high school. Um, I know it's mm-hmm. like it can be really super boring. Believe me, we've all been there. But if you can, you can look at it, and if you know what you want to do when you get out of school, and you can you can say what can I use from this that I like I said before that you can take with you and use for your then then that will help you get through that and mm-hmm. you'll walk away with a, with something else as well so, is so that what I'm a good hearing answer?
0: is that's a <laughs> wonderful answer pick up the book read go to your local grocery store get the right ingredients start creating yeah look for inspiration everywhere that's beautiful that's i love it well thank you are there any <laughs> other fun story anecdotes you want to share with us today i know you have a whole oh. bunch
1: well, you know, we could talk about uh, there a couple more Jurassic Park things since we're on the subject of Jurassic Park. Park about where where we got inspiration from other places. Yes. For, the, um, for instance, the raptor, the, the main raptor insert puppet that I used, it was just a big hand puppet, right? But the head was this big, and the head and the upper arm weighed about 35 pounds. So My trying goodness. to hold up a puppet like that is almost impossible, right? Um, so what I did was um I reinvented the steady cam, remember the you know the steady cam yeah. little arms that go around on the cameras and stuff, so a regular steady cam at that time was too big to fit into the neck of the raptor, so I redesigned i didn't redesign it I just built a smaller version of a steady cam and I put it in there, so that way, I was wearing a backpack and had the the steady cam arm came off my shoulder and into the puppet and oops. And and I didn't even have to have my hand in the puppet; it would just stay right there. And I just I could just have it. And then all I had to do is put my hand in the puppet and start moving the head around. Uh, so there was the Steadicam. So based off of what I'd seen from from that, wow! Uh, but it gets better because you know when you if you're holding a handle and say that this is your head or you're moving yeah. your head, you can turn your hand pretty good this way. But moving this way, you can't move as far, right? Mm-hmm. So I, obviously if my if I wanted my Raptor head to look to the right. He's only going to be able to do limited. So I put power steering in his head turn. (laughs) I put this great big servo on my backpack that was like this big. It was made for jumbo jets. And ran cables up to his head left and right. And then I had a little... Uh, potentiometer in there that would sense when I would turn the, turn the, uh, the head. And then once I started turning it, the power steering would take over and, and help, help me wrench it over and carry it farther. So I would sit there and I, I would just go, eh, and he go,
0: <laughs> and i go this way and he go,
1: and, and I, you know, so I was just like, eh, <laughs> and, and, and one other, one other really small kind of cheap piece of technology is that um, his head was looking down so I put a spring on the top of his head to pull his head up so that way he was permanently looking up and all I had to do was grab his head and pull a little bit to pull him and make him look down but if I wanted him to make him look up I could just relax and he would go up automatically so those are the little technology things wow. inside the raptor head That's... that nobody knows or sees or talks about um, but it was so way over the top and and and, and you know power and city cams inside the raptor head and nobody that's knows what about it. what sells it too because yeah.
0: it's that snapback in the neck um, uh-huh. and then like it is the deadly like very focused look in the eye where you're like oh god it's gonna get them like run right away. Yeah. Uh, dang it that's cool. <laughs> 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 clumped with emotions about uh-huh. the cool things. Uh, okay so you've worked on iconic profits from, from Slimer to the um does the worm and Tremors have a name?
1: Grab-ozoids.
0: Grabozoids.
1: Or maybe they're Graboids. I can't remember. We had a couple of names for the individual puppets. They were named after the uh, ducks from from Huey, Dewey, Louie. and Louie.
0: Yes! Yeah. So from we, the DuckTales. We had
1: three main puppets that were named after Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And then we had one specialized uh, puppet that was... Um, that a lot of the credit goes to a good friend of mine, Jeff Edwards, who built this puppet bulletproof so that it could burst through walls and burst up through the ground. And his name was, um, I think his name was Rambo.
0: Nice. Uh, because
1: we'd ram him through stuff. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but you know, like when they come through the floorboards of the of the uh, of the uh, the store and grabs the Chinese guy and pulls him down through the store floorboards and stuff. That was all the that was an actual Rambo head that burst through those boards and actually did that.
0: Wow. And,
1: and, and he was on like this big, big train track on this great big seesaw. And there are like five guys running him down the track. And then,
0: so we've so. talked a little bit about like, uh, creating and, and fabricating classic puppets, but what do you kids need to know about digital puppets in the future? What should they be learning digital now? That's going to be the next yeah. big wave of the future.
1: Well, I, I certainly recommend, um, um, digital um if you're a student it's great because if you can use your student id to, to create a free account at autodesk uh and yes. then you can get your a free copy of of autodesk maya which is the same animation software that all of the majors mm-hmm. are using and have been for many years now and and so if you have a, a computer that you can run it on and most computers will are able to run it um, and saw that, and then go straight to YouTube and and uh, start looking at tutorials, and and also in very short time, Nifa is we're almost ready to release our new resource page,
0: Ooh. and
1: on that we will also have additional Maya resources for students and for people who are interested. Nice. That that our um, instructors and that we are developing. Uh, uh, some pretty cool stuff that's happening.
0: I'm really so. excited. I'm excited to see uh, the Adam Servo up and running at Naifa, And uh, I know you just were at Seagraph doing demonstrations yeah. and showing that off. I know you've got a class people can yeah, sign Yeah, I'm for. actually
1: teaching the, it as a class. I'm teaching it through, a, through a, um, a, a school called the Stan Winston School of Character Arts, which was Stan Winston was one of the probably maybe the greatest uh creature character creator of all time and he passed away a few years ago but his son matt winston who is uh actually was a very popular actor that nobody knows about um um he started this school uh a a couple years ago i don't it's been a while Uh, and then he's been inviting all of the um the um the people from the makeup effects industry over the years like myself and we we'll be going and we're creating stuff so i have a um yeah i've done one one webinar series with them and then this next one uh starts in uh two weeks and it's called an observer and it, it will be on the uh uh you can you can find it on the stan winston school of character arts nice. and uh it's, it'll be three sessions long yeah so cool
0: uh, Definitely. Yes. Check that out. Uh, the Sam Winson School of Design. Uh, find, name, dra- name drop the book again, uh, Monster Arts Effects book.
1: Oh, the original. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the original one was called The Monster Makeup Handbook monster makeup by handbook. Dick Smith.
0: Is this the same book that was featured in Sense8? I'm not sure. I think it was. It might be. The, the kids in there were obsessed with monster makeup movies and, yeah. and perfecting all that stuff. Um, check out the book. Uh Check out the class and, and design your own puppets and send us pictures because I'd love to see what you guys be cool. are working on, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we want to thank Craig uh, Caton for being here with us again. Oh, thank thank you, you so much. Thank
1: you so much for with inviting awesome. me. You
0: have just incredible stories and it, it's heartwarming to hear them. and, and so we're, Are exciting. we out of time
1: already? We are. Oh my gosh, guys. I
0: know. Uh, it's like the, time th- time both plan. times
1: I come on this show, it's just like,
0: and You said to come back again. That's yeah. right. Please. Please do. Oh, we want to hear more of these thank great you. stories. Yeah. So thank you guys for coming. Join us back here next week, Thursday at 4 p.m. for the next Knife Hour. Uh, we will be talking to more students, alumni, and faculty about their next great projects. We'll see you soon. Yay!
1: From producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com.